All right, guys, we are back with our continued teaching in the book of Revelation. Now, the last time we were here, we were dealing with chapter 10 with the strong angel. And the idea of the strong angel is basically this. We are in the sixth trumpet judgment, the sixth trumpet judgment, and we are preparing for the seventh trumpet. But because of the devastating effects of the seventh trumpet judgment, because remember, in the seventh trumpet judgments will be the revelation of the seven bold judgments. The seven bold judgments are contained within that revelation. So because of that, uh, the devastating nature of those judgments that are to follow, we have this scene that kind of provides for us somewhat of a interruption of sort. And that's what this great or this wonderful angel that we see in Revelation chapter 10 and what he gives John is further revelation of the things that are to come or that will be revealed in the seventh trumpet. OK, and so he gives him this revelation. This further revelation is depicted as the little book that's in the angel's hand. And John takes the book. He eats. That is, he makes the revelation a part of himself so that he may regurgitate prophesy to the nations once again. All right. And so now we're in chapter 11. And as we're continuing this study in Revelation, we talk about two unique individuals. We'll talk about these as two witnesses. So let's just get started. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. So now John is transported down to the earth again, that is by virtue of the vision. And the idea is he is concentrating, God is causing him to concentrate on the temple. So there will be another temple. This will be the third temple to the which the Jews will build sometimes before the um, tribulation begins. Sometimes before the tribulation begins, the Jews will build a third temple. Now, although this, they will build this temple and will be performing the Levitical sacrifices in this temple, the sacrifices will not be accepted by God because of their rejection of Jesus. Now, there are a host of other things that we can talk about concerning the temple and temple worship, but it's not expedient for us to talk about it at this time. The only thing that's important for us to see here is there will be a third temple. This third temple will not be acceptable by God. And John here is taken to the temple that is standing in the time of the tribulation. He is told to measure it because it is now taking the attention of God. And so God is focusing John's attention as the revelation continues. And so he tells him to measure the temple, the altar that is in the temple, the altar is the place of sacrifice and those who worship in it. And these are the people who come to the temple. So the attention of God is being focused here at the temple. And we'll talk about the reasons for it as we move throughout the text. And so God is focusing John on this temple that will be standing during the time of the tribulation. Leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city 
for 42 months. So as John is told to measure the dimensions of the temple, he is told to leave the outer court of the temple out. Now, we know that the outer court of the temple, there's a place called the courts of the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. And this was a place given to the Gentiles where the Gentiles could come and worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. God had intended for all nations and all peoples to worship the true God at his house, okay? But nevertheless, the idea here is indicating that the temple of God will, will go through a some sort of a desecration. He said it has been given to the nations to trample it under their feet. And so the trampling under the feet is the idea of the desecration of the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. Now, this is what Daniel was talking about in chapter 9. The idea is this. This is the idea. When the Antichrist comes to power, we're in Daniel 9, he makes a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. In the middle of that treaty, after three and a half years, he breaks the treaty. And when the Antichrist breaks the treaty with Israel, he will go into the temple in Jerusalem and there he was set up and through his false prophet, he was set up an idol unto himself in the holy place of the temple, in the most holy place. That's the place where God is sanctified at that place. But in the most holy place of the temple, he's, he erects an image of himself and commands all the world to worship him. And this will be the Antichrist endeavor for worldwide worship of himself as God. And this is what is taking place. So he will demand all the world to worship him as well. At, well, not so much as the Jews, because what we're going to see actually with respect to the Jews themselves, he will begin uh, the process of trying to kill all the Jews, the eradication of the Jewish people as a whole. Okay. So this is what is meant by the trampling down of the temple, what the Antichrist will do. And that's why the reference is given. They will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. So notice what I just told you. The first three and a half years is that false peace, that peace treaty with the Jews. But he breaks the treaty in the middle of the, he breaks the treaty in the middle of the seven years. And for the remainder 42 months, that's what we see in verse number two, for the remainder of those 42 months, we see the desecration of the temple that John is told to measure out. And this is what the antichrist does. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now we're introduced unto, um, this is the very idea, the main idea of chapter 11, the two witnesses. And now, now the two witnesses, and notice it says, these two witnesses, we'll talk about them in detail, but 1260 days, 1260 days is the same as 42 months is the same as three and a half years. So these two witnesses that God is talking about. These are two men who have been ordained by God, chosen by God, and they are Jews. Two Jewish men ordained by God to prophesy during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. So in the first three and a half years 
of that seven-year peace treaty, okay, during that first three and a half years, God will choose two Jewish men as prophets during this time, during the tribulation, the first three and a half years. These two men are identified as the two olive branches in Zechariah chapter four. They are, and they are called the two Messiah men, two anointed ones. Okay. So they are two chosen Jewish prophets during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And they are, and notice what God says. He grants them authority in his name. The idea of clothed in sackcloth takes us back to the imagery of the prophet Elijah. So it, it enhances the visual imagery of them being prophets, their prophetic ministry. So the key thing that we're beginning to hone here is the two prophets who will be prophesying during the first three and a half years of the great tribulation. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the whole of the earth. Verse number four lets us see that once again, that's Zechariah chapter four. I was a little premature in identifying them, but here is that identification that comes from Zechariah chapter four. What God did not reveal the exact persons or even the exact time to Zechariah when these two olive branches would make their appearance, he didn't know. But now we see in Revelation the time in which the we see the identification, that is the identification of the two olive branches of Zechariah chapter 4 are the prophets, the two prophets. That's who they are. The time is the end of the age. We're looking at the end of the age, that is during the first half of the great of the tribulation period. Okay. So that's what we're talking about. And verse number four simply identifies the two prophets that we're talking about here in revelation 11 with the two olive branches of Zechariah chapter four. And now we know who they are. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. So now it talks about the um, powers of self-defense that these two prophets have, which is it's almost like Old Testament in a sense, because notice in the New Testament, we could not. If someone would try to harm us, we just have to accept whatever harm that is done to us in Jesus' name. For God makes an exception for these two prophets. Notice I say he makes an exception for these two prophets. Okay. And so what he do, what he do is this to defend themselves from any harm. It says fire comes from their mouths to kill their enemies. And I believe that these verses should be taken in the literal sense. There is no reason why these verses should be spiritualized in any way. So we see the powers that are given to these two prophets. That is the power to defend themselves in verse number five. And they can defend themselves even to the point of killing the person who is trying to harm them. Six, these have the power to shut up the sky so that the rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth 
with every plague as often as they desire. And so now we see the authority that God has given to these two prophets. He gives them powers, supernatural powers over the sky. That is to stop the rain to through, by their word. They can command the rain not to fall by their word. They can command waters. They can turn the waters into blood and strike with all manners of different plagues. And notice at the very end of verse number six, it says, and here's the thing, <laughs> according to the will of those two prophets, as often as they desire. Now that is a remarkable thing. Whenever they want to, they can cause a plague to come upon the earth. <laughs> so it seems to me you should be really nice to these two guys. But of course, you have to keep in mind it is during the time of the reign of the Antichrist as he is trying to take over the whole world as the world is being further and further enveloped in all manner of wickedness idolatry and all evil fornication and everything. And that's why God is raising these two prophets up to be a witness to the Jewish people and a witness to the world. There is a God and there is a true God worship him. And that's the idea. And that's why they are called witnesses because they are bearing witness to Jesus as the son of God and God as the true God. Okay. And so verse number six details their powers, or should I say the authority that God gives them seven. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Now, verse number seven is a little thick. So let me break it down in this way. When they have finished their testimony, notice God had already told us that he has given them 1,260 days. That is 42 months equivalent to three and a half years. So their ministry is ordained of God to only last for three and a half years, no matter what. So at the end of the three and a half years, their ministry is now complete. All right. Now, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them. The reference to the beast that comes out of the abyss, that that's a ref. That is a future reference. Notice what I said, guys, a future reference to Satan, because Satan himself, according to Revelations 20, will be cast into the abyss where he will remain there for the duration of the millennial kingdom a thousand years. So the reference here is unto Satan, the beast, the one who will come out of the abyss, Satan, but also the reference to the beast. And that's, we, we still have to get that. That's revelation chapter 13. The beast is a reference to the antichrist. So the idea that's being joined together in conjunction is this, the antichrist will be inhabited by the spirit of Satan, just in the same way that Jesus himself was filled with the spirit, with the Holy Spirit. So will the Antichrist be filled 
or empowered. That's the idea. He would be empowered with the spirit of Satan himself. And so having the powers of the spirit of Satan himself, he is able to do what no one else can do concerning the two witnesses. Notice again what verse number five said, that the two witnesses had the power to kill anybody who tried to hurt them. However, the Antichrist, once he is filled and controlled, he has the authority of Satan. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He is empowered with the powers of Satan, who will be his father. But we don't have time to go into all of that. Satan is the seed of he is the father of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the seed of the serpent, the seed of Satan. Like God has a son, the seed of the woman, Satan will have his son, the seed of the serpent, who will be the Antichrist. Okay? And he will be the Antichrist empowered with the powers of Satan. And that's how he is able to kill the two witnesses. He can do things that human beings cannot do. All right. He has a wisdom that human beings do not have. But nevertheless, we don't have time to get into all of that. So this is the Antichrist, his powers from Satan. And he is able to verse number seven to overcome the two witnesses so he'll overpower them. They won't be able to kill the Antichrist and the Antichrist will kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And so literally the bodies of the two uh, prophets, these two witnesses will not be permitted. They won't, the people won't permit them to bury them. They're going to allow their bodies to simply lie dead in the middle of the streets of Jerusalem. And notice the reason we know it's Jerusalem is cause it says where also their Lord was crucified and Jesus was crucified on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And it caused that great city, the city of Jerusalem mystically it's the same word spiritually. They call it Sodom and Egypt. The reason why it's called Sodom and Egypt, because Sodom is always a reference to fornication and adultery. Egypt is a reference to idolatry. So when you combine the concept of called spiritually, Sodom and Egypt, it speaks of the idolatrous nature of what's taking place. So it is speaking of Jerusalem in the sense of a city, not that is accepted by God, but a city that is full of idolatries and immoralities. And that's the idea. Okay. So the point of the verse number eight is once these prophets have been killed by the antichrist, they will not permit their bodies to be buried, but allow them to remain in the streets of Jerusalem. Nine, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And so verse number nine teaches us that the whole world, notice what it said, peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, the whole world will be able to view these dead bodies of these two prophets. Now, 
a hundred years ago, people were wondering how could this possible this be true? How can the whole world? But now we see now with the invention of television, the internet, and international communication, you can see what's going on on the other parts of the world right now. Just turn on your TV and you can see what's going on immediately. So with the invention of modern technology, now we we can see what God is trying to say in verse number nine. And it, is, and it goes to uh, help buttress your faith, to, to fortify your faith. Whenever God tells you something, even if you don't understand how it's going to happen, just believe that. Just believe him. And in time, you will find out that whatever God said, he surely was right. Okay, but back to the verse. So all he's simply saying here is all the peoples of the whole world are going to see the dead bodies of these prophets lying in the streets for three and a half days. Ten. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. And they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. We see in verse number 10 this is the first time there is any joy, any uh, idea of joy spoken of in the tribulation period. And look at what the people are rejoicing over. They're rejoicing over the deaths, over the killing, the murdering of these two prophets. And they're, they're having a sort of a Christmas day. Notice they're sending gifts to one another as they're celebrating the deaths of these two prophets because these two prophets tormented the earth with all manners of plagues. But remember, they are not just tormenting the earth with plagues for no reason at all. It's because of the idolatrous and rebellious nature of the world itself, the wickedness of the world, as God is trying to get them, all the peoples, Jew and Gentile, to repent. Okay, so that's why all of this is taking place in the first place. But the unwillingness of people, people refuse to repent. So they would rather see these two prophets dead than to repent of their sins and turn to God. So they're celebrating because they're thinking now we don't have to be worried about them anymore. And they'll never get a chance to strike this world with plagues anymore. But after the three and a half days the breath of life from God came into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who were watching them. So now after three and a half days of laying dead in the streets, people celebrating, sending gifts, having a great time watching the dead bodies of these two men, all of a sudden the spirit of God comes into these men and they go through a physical transformation. So they resurrect from the dead. So this is what we call a translation. Their bodies are renewed and they have the new body that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But nevertheless, they resurrect from the dead and people were watching them when this actually happened. And these two men stood up in front of everybody. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, 
come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. So in the sight of everybody, these two men heard no doubt the a voice, unidentified voice, but I would speculate dangerous thing, but nevertheless, the voice of God come up here. And these two men actually were raptured into heaven on the cloud. And that's a definite article there, the cloud. So it seems to indicate the cloud of glory took these two Jewish prophets into heaven. And there they went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ as the whole world, especially their enemies, continued to watch them. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so we find out that when that happened, after the resurrection and ascension of these two prophets, God shook the earth once again with another earthquake, destroying 10% of the city of Jerusalem, also in the great earthquake at that time, 7,000 people died in that earthquake. And then it says, the rest gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, we need to talk about what it means by the rest gave glory to the God of heaven. Okay, guys, let's talk about the rest gave glory to God. Now, the idea is, the reference is here to the Jewish people. Remember, these are two Jewish prophets. Primarily, the idea, primarily, they are witnessing to the Jews themselves uh, of who the true God is, of the person of Jesus as the Messiah. That's, that's what it's all about, the witnessing. It's trying to get people to convert, to come to the true God. And the way you do that is by believing in the Messiahship of Jesus. So that's the, that's the prevailing idea unto the Jewish people as well as to the Gentiles, their witnesses. Okay, but now we need to direct our understanding properly. So let's back it all the way up. Notice the whole issue here is about these two men resurrect from the dead the result of their resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven, of course, their resurrection from the dead is the remaining Jews were converted. It was something that they saw in this that caused them to give glory to God. That's what that means. They means they literally converted. They became believers. The whole nation Notice the rest did. So you see a conversion of the whole nation. So let me try to explain it to you this way. And let me try to do it briefly, guys, if I can. Matthew chapter 12. Remember, a demonic, a man with a demon was brought to Jesus and the demon caused the man to be unable to speak and unable to hear them. He was dumb and, uh, 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 and mute, mute and dumb. And they could not cast the demon out of the man, okay? Because when the they, the Jews cast out demons outside of Jesus, Jesus talked about that. Other people than Jesus cast them out, the rabbis and things of that nature. But the way they cast them out would be they would bring the person with the demon. They would establish some form of communication with the demon. They would get the demon's name 
And then using the demon's name, they would exercise authority over the demon and cast the demon out. This was the common way. So you had to get the demon's name. However, if the person was unable to speak and then you couldn't, you couldn't communicate with the person, then you couldn't cast the demon out of the person. They could not. They believed the rabbis taught that only the Messiah, when the Messiah would come, he would have the power to cast the demon out of a person without the need of getting the demon's name. So the occasion like this came, Matthew chapter 12, such a man was brought before Jesus and Jesus, without going through any of that, because remember, the man can't talk. He just simply cast the demon out. And so the people began to get a little bit excited. And so they started asking their leaders, is it possible that Jesus could be the Messiah? And remember, the leaders didn't want to accept Jesus as the Messiah. So they came up with this crazy uh, excuse and said that Jesus cast out demons because he did it with the power of demons themselves. Jesus told them how ridiculous this was. And he and he basically said, uh, uh, upbraided the nation and he withdrew the offer of the Messianic kingdom by that simply meaning Jesus came. All of the miracles that he did were signs Signs to prove that he indeed was the Messiah, the King of Israel, the one that was spoken of by the prophets who should come. That's why he did those miracles. And that's why we call them signs, because they prove who he is. OK, Jesus said he was angry and he withdrew the offer of the kingdom. That is the nation no longer had an opportunity to receive him as the Messiah. It was gone from that generation. It would be offered to a future generation, but we're not going to get into all of those details. But he continued on to say that because of their rejection of him, saying that he was demon possessed, he would no longer give the nations any more signs because later on, these same leaders came back to Jesus. They came and Jesus they asked Jesus to give them another sign, a messianic sign. Do a miracle. Show us your Messiah. And Jesus said, because you call, said that I was demon possessed. That's the really, that's back previous what we're talking about. No more signs, no further signs I will give to you except the sign of resurrection, resurrection of the dead. So that's the key sign of resurrection of the dead. All right. We go to John chapter 11. Later on, we know Jesus had a friend by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus became sick. They sent people to Jesus to get Jesus. Jesus delayed intentionally to come to Lazarus to heal him while he was sick because it was the predetermined will of God that Lazarus should die. And Jesus showed up at the tomb four days later and there he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And when he resurrected Lazarus from the dead, this was the first sign of resurrection. Notice the people's response. They went and told the leaders. The leaders still rejected that sign and they intended to kill Jesus. So that's a rejection of that sign. Then we have the death of Jesus himself. And we, and we all know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what happened? The soldiers who were attending the tomb, the of, uh, leaders paid them off and said that, tell that Tell the people, if anybody asks you, that his disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away by night. So they rejected that sign of resurrection. But now we're here in Revelation chapter 11, and we have the death and resurrection of the two witnesses 
And notice here in their death and resurrection, we have the conversion. What happened? The rest gave glory to God. This is the conversion of the entire nation of the Jewish people. This is a fulfillment of when Zechariah the prophet spoke how that two-thirds of the Jewish people will die in the tribulation period and that one-third will be refined or that one-third who remain will be saved. And again, this goes to the prophecy of Paul in Romans chapter 11, when Paul was speaking most to the, basically to the church as a whole, that's dominated by Gentiles. You got more Gentiles in the church than Jews. And Paul was saying, don't become arrogant because of this, because there is coming a day when all of Israel, not just some, because only some Gentiles are saved, not all, but that's going to come a day when every Jew will be saved. This is that time when it's fulfilled at the third sign of the resurrection of the dead, of that fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, when that one third of the Jews will be saved. So there, here now in Revelation 11, at the resurrection of the two witnesses, we have the conversion of the Jewish people. And this happens at the second half of the tribulation. Okay. I hope I made that clear. 14. The second woe is past and behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So remember we had that great eagle that was flying through the heavens. And in that eagle, he was saying, woe, woe, Woe. And that's because in the fifth and sixth trumpets, woe, woe, we had those two demon invasions and it was horrific. Okay. And we had a loss of the third part of the earth, third part of the trees, third part of the third part, the third part of that and all this stuff like that. And the demons and all of these things in the trumpet judgments and all of this. And you would think it couldn't get any worse. And it actually did. That's why I said, woe. Whoa, whoa, because it's actually getting worse. The first woe was a demon invasion. Second woe was another demon invasion. And that's when the blowing of the fifth trumpet, first woe, the blowing of the sixth trumpet, the second woe. And now we're preparing for the blowing of the seventh trumpet. It will be the third woe. And it's because it's worse. Woe meaning it gets worse and worse. And remember, in the seventh trumpet, are the seven bold judgments and the seven bold judgments are the final judgments, final judgments. They will be the worst thing ever. It gets worse and worse and the world will almost be brought to its knees. Okay. And that's why he said the third woe is quickly coming and the bold judgments will be rapid judgments. All right. So now we're getting ready for Remember, we have been in the sixth trumpet. That's what all of this prophecy has been from the angel with that little book up until chapter 11. We've been in the sixth trumpet. Now we're getting ready for the seventh trumpet, which will begin introduce the bold judgments. That's what the seven trumpets will be. So now let's get into that. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. So now we have because the third bowl, the bowl judgments are going to bring about the end of all things. That is the coming of Jesus at the end of the bowl judgments. It will be the end of the tribulation. It will bring about 
the second advent. Jesus returns back to the earth to, re to reign as king over the whole world. Notice it says in verse number 15 again, the kingdom of the world, not kingdoms plural, but kingdom singular. And it says singular because it is at this time the Antichrist has made himself king over the whole world. He is ruling the entire planet. That's why it says kingdom singular and not plural. And simply at the end of the blow judgments, Jesus will be reigning at that time. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the almighty who are, who were, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. So this is a song of praise. So what we see basically is praise again in heaven. We're taken back to heaven. Remember, he's there on earth looking at the temple in earth. That's what, how we begin chapter 11. Now we're taken back to heaven and we're seeing heavenly praises from those 24 elders who were sitting around the throne as they began to worship God in the anticipation for the reign of Jesus upon the earth. Okay. 18. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bond servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. All right. So in their continued praise that we see, he speaks of the rejection of God by the world. That is the world as a whole. Now, we know there are going to be a lot of people that will be saved during this time. But the world as a whole, the world rejects God. And that's the reason why we see the wrath of God is coming upon the world. And then it talks about the time for the, the dead to be judged. Now, the reference here. To the dead that is to, to, who are to be judged are the righteous dead. That is, these are the saints. Remember, okay, in a nutshell, at the time of the rapture of the church and the and the and the death of all of the saints, and, and remember all the people who were who were dead and things of that nature that we saw at the altar of God early in the sealed judgments. All right. The people who were had been raptured into heaven in the church age, the people who had died, all of that nature, as we're getting ready to come back to the world for the reign of Jesus Christ, he will judge all of his people. This is not a judgment for their salvation. This is a judgment for the reward. This is what Paul talks about, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. This is a judgment for reward. So while the saints are in heaven, awaiting the return of Jesus, we will be judged to determine what rewards we will get and what we will exercise. Uh, when I say the exercise of those rewards, when Jesus gives you reward, this is what you will have during the reign of the kingdom. So if he rewards you, say for instance, you, you rewarded to be a king over a particular place or whatever, that's when you will find out what those rewards will be. And that's what it means by uh, the dead to be judged. These are the righteous dead. That's why he goes on later on to say in that verse, to reward your bond servants, the prophets, as well as the saints who fear your name. So these, this is a uh, judgment 
and reward of the righteous dead. Okay. The wicked dead are not judged until the great judgment day. And we see that in Revelation chapter 20. No matter who they are, small and the great. All right. And then to bring judgment on those who destroyed the earth. This is judgment upon the wicked peoples of the earth. This is not the judgment of reward. This is the judgment of punishment. And we see that when Jesus speaks of, when he says, when the son of man returns to the earth, what will he do? He'll gather the sheep and the goat. He'll set them before him. He'll tell the sheep come into the kingdom and the goat, those who have rejected God during their lives, during the time of the tribulation, he will execute them and send them straight to hell immediately. Okay. So this is what it means by the second part of that verse. Verse 19. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. And the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. And so finally John is taken to see the temple of God in heaven because there is a temple of God in heaven. We've been seeing that early in our study of Revelation. And so John is taken into like the inner sanctums of the temple where there he sees the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of heaven. And it is surrounded by all kinds of supernatural stuff. Notice it flashes of lightning and thunder and all kinds of stuff like that is happening. And all of this is happening because as we're getting ready for the sounding of the seventh trumpet, we're building up that anticipation for the judgments of the bold that are bold judgment that are to fall and the end of all things, the return of Jesus, the reign of the Messiah. So it's a great anticipation that's building up even as it shows in heaven. And again, we have an earthquake and a great hailstorm. So as these events begin to unfold and the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, we see praise that goes in heaven because this thing is just about to end. Now, even though it says it's about to end, and we know that we're going to start in the bold judgments. We will not actually see the beginnings of these things until chapter 15 and 16. We're still going to be on a little break until then. So join me for the next time as we go into chapter 12 and we continue. Notice we were talking about the two prophets two Jewish prophets. We're going to give further revelation in chapter 12 on what will happen to the Jewish people themselves during the times of the tribulation. So join me next time as we get into those issues. See you then, guys. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now.